Good morning, and thank you for taking the time to listen and attend church virtually uh, with us as we go continuing in the passage we have this morning, which is Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. Again, our passage is Matthew 9, 9 through 13. It goes as follows. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, this is really an amazing story uh, when Jesus meets Matthew. And when I was studying this, I had so many questions uh, when I was looking through this. Why would somebody like Matthew leave their entire life behind when a stranger walks by them, says the words, follow me to them? Why would they leave everything behind? And then why would they go and throw this person a dinner party? What was so special about this moment? I found that it helped me to fully appreciate what Jesus does and why Matthew responds the way he does when we read this passage from a first-person point of view. So I want to take a little bit of uh, liberty to expand on maybe what a little bit of uh, Matthew's backstory might have looked like and what he would have felt like leading up to this moment and then during this moment and after it. Hello, my name is Matthew, son of Alphaeus, and this is my story. I live and work in this town of Capernaum. I'm a Jewish man living in Israel under the Roman rule. My people resent the Roman government for their harsh rules and regulations. The Romans send out tax collectors to do their dirty work and impose burdensome taxes on my people. But I'm a tax collector myself, and I'm the one that they use to collect these taxes. I often cheat my own people of more money than I'm supposed to collect. My people hate the tax collectors because we work for the Romans. My people hate me because I, Matthew, am a tax collector. You know, I know it's not right, but I didn't know what else to do. Everyone has their own way to provide for themselves, and I saw that being a tax collector could make me rich beyond my wildest dreams. All that I had to do was sit at that tax office every day and collect taxes from my people. Every time they walk by, I call them over and they pay their taxes. I mean, sure, I pocket a little bit extra, but who wouldn't, you know? I need to support myself somehow, right? But my people, they despise me because I cheat them. You know, I make up all sorts of false taxes. I add on interest rates that shouldn't exist. Um, and th these people really can't afford them. These are absurd uh, taxes. These people pay way more taxes than they need to. And I profit at the end of the day because of it. I pocket the difference. 
as I walk to work every day, you know, I have to cover my face and hide my shame because nobody wants to see me. People hate me. People hurl insults toward me and they ridicule me for what I do. You know, unfortunately, this is the price I have to pay for this work that I do. I know what I'm doing is wrong and I know that my own people absolutely hate me. I'm an outsider. They consider me as the scum of the earth. Even my own family, they won't talk to me anymore and the friends that I grew up with, they could care less about me. They wish I never existed. Because of all this, I feel lonely. I feel sad and depressed. All I really want is for real friends again. I want people who will talk to me. All the people that I have that are friends are just tax collectors and sinners. I feel abandoned. I feel empty inside. My greed for money has absolutely ruined my life. And I just don't know what to do. I often sit in my tax office in the middle of this busy town and I look out the window just thinking to myself, how am I so alone in a place where there are so many people? This is such a vibrant, bursting town full of people, but somehow I'm so lonely. It's like I'm the only person who doesn't have a friend. No one cares to ask me how I'm doing. No one even bothers to say hello to me. No one goes out of their way to talk to me, to numb the pain of this loneliness and isolation. I just think about, you know, I, I could make so much more money if I continue this lifestyle. And I'm just consumed by my greed to rip off my own people but this money doesn't make me happy. It's never brought me joy. All it does is just drive my people farther away from me, and I feel even lonelier because of it, the deeper I get into this, this sin. I've grown so cold to my sin, but yet I continue to pursue this greed, despite how empty it leaves me inside. Why do I feel so alone? Is there anyone out there who feels the same way I feel? Is there anyone who knows what I'm going through? Does anyone know my struggle? I go to sleep thinking, will tomorrow be any different? Will anyone stop by my tax office and show care and concern for me? Does anyone even care? These thoughts cloud my mind all day long. But there's a man that I heard about who could help me. I just never met him yet. I heard that he does care, that he is very compassionate and merciful and loving to everyone around him. People from all over the country travel to see this man. They want to be close to him. You know, some say that he's a great teacher. Others, they say that he's a prophet. But what I've heard in the marketplace is that this man could be the long-awaited Messiah. I've heard that he even performs miracles and people have been talking and they say that this man called Jesus Christ has made a leper clean. He's healed a paralyzed servant. He's cured a woman of her fever. He's healed many others, cast out demons, 
And I heard he even had the wind and waves obey his voice. You know, word around town, he was able to even forgive a man of his sins. I want to meet this Jesus. Right now, it's the sweetest name I know. But I'm busy with work right now. I have to provide for myself and make a living. I don't have time to go out and look for this guy. As I sit here in my tax office, I call up the next taxpayer and, you know, I just tell them what they owe me. I notice that it's an unusually loud day in the marketplace. As I collect taxes from this citizen, I'm amazed at the size of this crowd coming into the market. What are they all doing here? It's a large crowd. And the crowd stops for a moment as the man in the middle of the crowd walks out toward me. I look up at him and it clicks. This must be the one everyone's talking about. This must be Jesus. And the way he looks at me, it's like he knew everything about me. He knew my past, my choices and mistakes I've made. He knew my loneliness, my isolation, my pain, my greed, and my sin. And as he looks at me, my heart sinks. All the mistakes and the sin in my life flashes before my eyes. I can't believe what I've done with my life. I've traded the precious relationships with my friends and family for greed. I've ripped off people and pocketed the rest. I've worked with the Romans who are our enemies. I'm a sinner through and through. What does Jesus want from me? Why is he stopping by to talk to me? I'm not worth his time. Doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he know what I've done with my life and how I've completely wasted it? But then he looks at me and says the sweetest words I ever heard. Follow me. I'm in shock. I gasp at these words and I feel my heart skip a beat. Did, did I just hear correctly? Jesus wants me, a tax collector and sinner, to follow him? How could this be? No one's ever wanted me, let alone chosen me. What does Jesus see in me? But then I think, wait, that's right. Jesus is choosing me. Somebody wants me. But not just anybody. Jesus wants me. I can't believe it. This is amazing. So what am I going to do? This is amazing. I, I thought about it for a second, what my choice would mean to my life. What would I be losing if I left everything and followed him? I would be leaving my stable job. I have a lot of money. I have a great job and source of income. And the Roman guards, they protect me as I tax these people. But this life has left me empty inside and I hate it. I hate living this deceitful lie or I cheat people. And then I, I think about all the things that I would gain. Well, I would gain the closest and sweetest friend I could ever have. I would be following my maker. I wouldn't ever need anything because Jesus would supply my every need. I would be loved. I would be happy. I would no longer be sad and lonely. And I would no longer feel like an outsider. I'd have a friend. I'd be forgiven of my sins. 
So in that moment, I had a choice to make. Jesus walked by my tax booth, looked directly at me and said, follow me. And in that moment of clarity, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I left everything I had behind me. I stood up and I followed him. I exchanged the life I was living, which had nothing to offer for the life that Jesus offered me and brought me so much great joy to my life. I knew this was the best decision of my life. I was so happy to finally be accepted and loved and chosen by Jesus, nonetheless, that I decided to throw a great dinner party. I invited everybody I knew. I invited Jesus, his disciples, all these tax collectors and sinners that I knew to my house. I threw this great feast to celebrate my decision to follow Jesus. I know I'm just so happy for what Jesus did for me. I had to tell others so they could also feel what I feel. You know, before I met Jesus, I was in their shoes and I know how they feel. I want them to know the Jesus that I know. I want them to have the same joy that I now have. They need to know this Jesus who called me to leave everything behind and follow him. So as we um, take a look back at this passage now, I think it makes a little bit more sense why Jesus called Matthew and why Matthew would have left everything behind to follow him. Verse 9 says this, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now, why did Jesus pass by the tax booth? He passed by because he needed to meet Matthew. He needed to change this man's life. And he did the same thing when he met the Samaritan woman at the well. It says that he needed to go through Samaria even though he didn't have to go that way, he needed to go that way in order to cross the path of people that he would choose to follow him. What was Matthew doing? He was living his life. He was sitting at the tax booth. He was focused on his work. Just another day, collecting taxes from his people. Nothing special was going on. But Jesus chose to pass by that tax booth. And by doing so, Jesus made it the most memorable day for Matthew's life. Jesus met Matthew where he was at. He graciously came to the sinner and said, follow me. You see, Jesus already knew Matthew's heart. Jesus desires to show mercy. He came to save sinners. He came to heal the sick and those who are in need of healing. Matthew was in a perfect position where he recognized that he was a sinner in need of a savior. And Jesus met him and said, follow me. Now there are several examples where Jesus says this phrase, follow me, in the Bible. And there's some good examples and there's some bad examples where people follow him and people make excuses not to. The good examples, um, Jesus meets some fishermen casting their nets. And he says, follow me. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And another passage similar to this, uh, in Luke 5.11, it says, so when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Later in Matthew 19.27, it says, then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? 
And Jesus, speaking to many disciples, said, When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. These are good examples. Jesus met people and said, follow me. And they left all, realizing that their life was empty. It didn't bring them anything but emptiness. And Jesus said, follow me. They forsook all, they left all, and they followed him. But there's some bad examples in the Bible. There was a certain scribe who came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You see, people in the world want to follow Jesus, but when they realize the cost of leaving it all behind to follow him, they throw every excuse in the book as to why they can't follow him. Later in Matthew 19, it says, Jesus said to uh, the rich young ruler, Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, choosing to follow Jesus is not a decision to take lightly. You can't hold on to the world with one hand and then with the other hand reach out to follow Jesus. You have to leave it all behind. You have to recognize that what Jesus is offering you is so much greater than what this world can offer. You have to leave it all and follow him. So when Jesus says to Matthew, follow me, Matthew's response is beautiful. He realizes that he was a sinner. He realized that his life he was living left him empty inside, that it never brought him joy. And then he meets Jesus and realizes that Jesus could bring him true joy. Jesus could bring him forgiveness of his sins and love and friendship and mercy. It says that Matthew left all, rose up, and followed him. He left his old life behind and began a new life of following Jesus, his maker. This is what true repentance looks like. He recognized his sin and his hopeless situation on his own strength. He left it all behind him, turned, and followed Jesus. So Matthew made this decision to follow Jesus. And Matthew just couldn't wait uh, to tell his friends what he had just uh, done, who he had just met. He met Jesus. Matthew knows that he himself has felt lonely and isolated unhappy with his life and with his sin. And he knows a lot of people that also feel the same way that he did before he met Jesus. And his first thought is beautiful. It's a thought of an evangelist. It's, I'm going to throw this dinner party at my own house. Everybody's invited. I want everybody to meet this guy that I just met. They need to meet Jesus. So he invites all the tax collectors and sinners he knows. And he invites his disciples. And he has Jesus as a guest of honor in his house. Matthew's mindset is, these people need to know this Jesus that I know. And this is a great example and challenge for us. This is such a great testimony. Jesus commands us to go out into all the ends of the earth 
to share this gospel message. We should really look at Matthew's example and learn a lesson from it. Reach out to all your friends and family. Reach out to all the sinners in your life and show them how great a friend Jesus can be to them. Reach out to the worst of the worst, the outcasts, the rejects, the lost causes that you know. Because you also were that person before, before you met Jesus. So show mercy to that person that you know. And notice that Matthew didn't go to the righteous looking people to show them Jesus, but he went to the worst of the worst. Those are the ones who really needed Jesus. Verse 10 says, Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And the, the version for Mark says, There were many, and they followed him. And Luke says that there was a great number of tax collectors and others at this party. So what kind of party was this? This is a big dinner party. Matthew knew a lot of sinners. He was a wealthy man from the work he did, and he could afford to throw a large party like this. Everyone he knew was invited. The people invited were tax collectors, they were prostitutes, drunkards, murderers, thieves, liars, gamblers. They were criminals. They were outcasts. They had no knowledge or care for God. These were all lost causes, and they were hated by the community for the things that they've done. So what was it that drew these people to Jesus? These people were sick, and they knew that Jesus could heal them. They needed mercy, and Jesus was openly offering mercy to them. They were sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus could forgive them of all their sins. He was offering to be their Savior. So these people are what I'm going to call the insiders at the party. All the tax collectors and sinners gained a friend. They gained fellowship with Christ. And then the outsiders at the party showed up. In verse 11 it says, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, these outsiders, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were actually the lonely ones that are left on the outside. And they took a very judgmental approach, basically saying, How dare he? Doesn't he know who they are? Doesn't he know what they've done? These are tax collectors and sinners we're talking about. Thieves, drunkards, prostitutes, murderers, gamblers, liars. These people are so unclean. And to even talk about the things that they've done would make us unclean. Those people don't follow the law of God like we do. And your teacher must be guilty by association by hanging out with them. He must be a sinner because he eats with tax collectors and sinners. If he really knew what they've done, he would never eat with them, let alone talk with them. In a similar passage to this in Luke 15, it says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. But in another passage, Jesus makes a comment about the Pharisees and says in Matthew 11:19, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they said, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And this is a beautiful phrase that Jesus says, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is really who Jesus was. He was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. Jesus went out of his way to reach to the lost, the lonely, the isolated, 
the sinners, the worst of the worst. Now, Jesus didn't go out, become their friend, and adopt their sinful lifestyle, but he went into their dark and sinful environment, and he went to shine as a light in their darkness. He met them where they were at in their lives. He reached out to them, and he showed them the light. He showed them what love looks like when no one else would. He became their friend. Verse 12 says that when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now this is obvious. Sick people see the doctor. Healthy people don't. The sick people we can identify as the tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees would certainly agree with this logic. The Pharisees would identify themselves as those who are well. And they are self-righteous. So they are much better than these sick people. But what Jesus says here is very subtle, but it's also very powerful. Jesus is reaching out to the sick. And so by default, he must be the physician that is there to heal them. He must be a healer. And Jesus rebukes the uh, Pharisees. In verse 13, it says, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus quotes scripture from Hosea 6, verse 6, where it says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. The Pharisees loved having this high and prominent status before men. They looked like the most righteous people out there because they were so focused on the sacrifices and keeping the law to a T. But they forgot to show mercy to the sinners, to the lost, to the outcasts. And really, they did quite the opposite. Instead of showing them mercy, they openly despised them and rejected them and counted them as worthless. The Pharisees already knew that God desired mercy and not sacrifice. But clearly, the Pharisees did not grasp this concept. Those who are well should want the sick people to get better. They shouldn't have the mindset of, why is this doctor wasting his time healing these sick people and hanging out with them? In uh, Bill McDonald's commentary on this passage, he says it better than I could ever say it. He says, although God had instituted the sacrificial system, he did not want the rituals to become a substitute for inward righteousness. God is not a ritualist, and he is not pleased with rituals divorced from personal godliness. Precisely what the Pharisees had done. They observed the letter of the law, but had no compassion to those who needed spiritual help. They only associated with self-righteous people like themselves. You see, what the Pharisees never understood from all their studying of the law is that God desires mercy more than sacrifice. He wants a relationship with us, not a set of oppressive rules. He wants those who have been shown mercy by God to then show mercy to others. And he loves it when you help those who are in trouble. He loves it when you show compassion and tender mercy to those who are hurting and afraid and lost and lonely. And finally, in verse 13, 
it says, really as a statement of authority, saying who Jesus really is, uh, saying that he's God, saying, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he came to seek and save that which is lost as well. You know, in order to come to Jesus, you have to recognize that you're a sinner, that you're lost without hope in this world. You have to recognize a sin in your life. And you have to realize that Jesus is the only person who can forgive you. Paul really said it best in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You have to admit that you're a sinner through and through, that you need God's mercy and forgiveness for your sins. And he will gladly offer it to you. And when you receive it, you should be glad. And then go and share this mercy with others. So this is really the main point of this message. You know, if you're a believer listening to this message, think about your life before you knew God, before you knew Jesus. You were Matthew. You were an outcast, a sinner separated from God, lonely, a lost cause, having no hope in this world. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Jesus passed by you at one point in your life when you felt lost and afraid, like Matthew. Jesus chose you and said, follow me. And you realized your sin was great and that you had no hope on your own. You realized that you needed a Savior to forgive you of your sins. You needed Jesus. So when he met you and said, follow me, you left all, got up and followed him. And it was the best decision you ever made. Now, go and be like Jesus. Go out and find the tax collectors and sinners that you know and show them mercy like Jesus showed you. Be that friend to tax collectors and sinners. Go and find all the outcasts and the rejects and show them how much Jesus loves you and tell them how much Jesus loves them. And if you're listening to this this morning, are you feeling like an outsider? Are you a sinner? Have you avoided the relationship with Jesus for the things of this world and realized that the world just left you empty inside? I want you to know this morning that Jesus is reaching his hand out to you, still saying, follow me. He wants you to leave it all behind and follow him. He wants to be a friend of sinners. He wants to be your friend and savior. So I'll close with this, and I want you to think about the words from this song called Jesus, Friend of Sinners this week. As you go out and reach out to all the tax collectors and sinners in your life. Oh Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. You love every lost cause. You reach for the outcast, for the leper and the lame. They're the reason you came. 
Lord, I was that lost cause, and I was the outcast. But you died for sinners just like me, a grateful leper at your feet. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the privilege to continue studying your word as we uh, continue this series in Matthew. And we just want to remember how gracious you were to Matthew, who was a lost sinner, who had no hope in this world, who needed a savior. And you came by his tax office one day and said, follow me. And you changed his life forever. You gave him joy and hope and you loved him as a friend. And you died for his sins on the cross. Lord, help us to realize that we were like Matthew. And help us to go out into the world and find other people who are outcasts and sinners and who nobody likes. Help us to be their friend. Help us to love them like you loved us. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.